Let's open our Bibles this morning to the uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Let's pick it up in verse 45 as we make our way through God's word, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Mark 6, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Mark that place, Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitudes away, And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, For they saw him, and they were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Important verse. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. As we... um, are going to do a harmony of the Gospels this morning. I'm going to take a minute. I want you to take your Bibles, and we're going to mark three places. We're going to be going back and forth between uh, Matthew chapter 14, so find that one. Mark 6, where we are right here. And then John 6. The only one we're leaving out is Luke. This story is recorded and Matthew, Mark, and John. And we will not have a complete picture of what we just read unless we do a composite and bring all three of them together to get a complete and full picture of what is actually taking place here. As we start out this morning, this last verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened It's actually indicating that the Lord is going to tell us a little bit later that he knows that he's going to do this. He's going to go walking on the water to them. Because evidently there's something when the 5,000 were fed that they missed. And it has something to do with the hardness of their heart. I'm not going to try to speculate too much because I don't want to take it beyond the realm of what the scriptures is telling us. But what the scripture clearly said here is uh, there's a because. They were hardened in some way. I kind of think that they missed the forest for the trees with the miracle that was actually done. Now the feeding of the 5,000 precedes the walking on the water in Mark's gospel chapter 6. It just tells us here, it starts in verse 32, that um, the Lord comes to them. The day was far spent in verse 35. And um, uh, he began to teach them many things. They were weary and um, had not eaten. The Lord had compassion on them. In verse 37, he answered and said to them, uh, to the disciples, give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have 200 denarii's worth of bread and give them something to eat question but he says no what what do we have on hand how many loaves do you have go and see and when they found out they said well we have five loaves and we have two fish and he commanded them to make them sit down in groups on the green grass they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes he looked up into heaven blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all, so they all ate and were filled. I just want to pause pause and realize what's happening here. This is an unbelievable miracle. We have five to start out with, a couple of fish, and every time they went to serve, we're talking 5,000, we're going to find out it's more than that in just a little bit. So we basically have the disciples distributing food to 5,000 people plus, and fish are appearing out of thin air. Every time they look down, there's more. It's not empty. And it says everybody 
verse 42 was filled. Uh, actually, the, the, the um, interpretation in the Greek is actually glutted. They had as much as they wanted, and they were full to the capacity. And it tells us they had leftovers that filled up 12 baskets. And those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000. Now, this is the first place where it just mentions men. This morning, we'll look at a harmony of these verses from Matthew, Mark, and John. As I said earlier, Luke does not address or mention this in his gospel. We'll see a complete picture when we combine the other gospel accounts of Jesus walking on the water. But first, like last Wednesday, I took you to, we were reading about Capernaum. And, you know, if you've ever been there, it's just an A site. We know for sure that Jesus actually was in um, the synagogue that was built in the first century. That one was destroyed, but the, the, another one was built on top of it. But it's in exactly the same place. It's one of the few places in the world that you can say, the Lord that we love and serve actually stood in this particular place. And I showed a picture of it on the screen. Well, this morning I'm going to take you to my favorite place in Israel. It's a two, two minutes and 45 seconds of uh, a mountain called Arbel. We've got it off the internet, and it's in Hebrew. So we're going to turn down the sound because you guys don't know Hebrew. Maybe some of you do. And I'll do a little narrating because I've been there many times. So let's run the film, and I'll explain a little bit of what you're seeing and how it plays into our Bible study this morning. This would be um, 600 feet above sea level. Johnny Cash, in his movie The Gospel Road, begins and does much of the filming. This right here, that's the top of our bell. And um, what you're seeing in the background, that city right there is the modern city of Megdal. Uh, there is a wadi right there. A wadi is a um, that'll dead end um, back. Now we're panning back, and the, the road that would go back there would be the road that you would take to go to Cana. And this, uh, let's freeze it right there. The reason I'm freezing it here is our Bible study this morning. If you look up, you can see the very northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Directly below it on this side would be the ancient city of Magdal, where Mary Magdalene was from. If you go around the top where the stone cuts it off, that would be where Capernaum is. And then if you would go a little bit farther um, around the top of it, you would come to the city of Bethsaida. And now I'll read verse 45 again. Immediately his disciples get into the boat and go before them to Bethsaida. So they're going to be starting probably at the base. If you can run the video again. By the way, you can climb up. If you look down, you can see a steel rod right there. And um, you can walk up um, on a steep side using those railings. But there's also a very simple path that you can, can walk up to. Uh, they've made it a, ma- a national park today. When we first started going, only the locals knew about this place. It's 600 feet above sea level, and it has uh, just a spectacular view of the whole Sea of Galilee. We take a group picture up there every time we, we visit Israel. Try to get there around sunset. Um, I'll be showing another one just a little bit with Amir a two-minute video of a storm coming down. He'll be standing on our bell at this very spot and describing the intensity, how these storms can arise uh, and come so quickly. So we're just doing sort of a a panoramic view here. In just a moment, we'll see um, underneath that mountain right there is the city of Tiberias. It is the only city on the Sea of Galilee. There are several kibbutzes, Engev, Ma'agan in the south, uh, but relatively unchanged. Straight across would be uh, the land of the Gadarenes where the Lord casts the demons into the swine. And now we're panning back around again to Capernaum and back now into land. Our Fred Reeve Litvin used to live in that town right there of, of Magdal. And um, again, that is 
panning up to the road that would have been used by Jesus to make the way either going out that way to Cana or they would follow the Jordan River to the south all the way down to Jericho. This is a very popular spot right here with a lot of group pictures where that really goes um, down. Make you want to go to Israel? Anybody want to go to Israel after seeing this? (laughs) And that's pretty much the end of our clip right here. Beautiful spot. Okay, let's turn this morning, now that we've had a little view, we'll be coming back and I'll show you a storm. Um, Amir is leading a group and a storm all of a sudden just shows up quickly. And again, it'll bring clarity to our Bible study this morning. But let's take a look, now that we've looked at Mark's account, let's turn back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14. And again... In verse, we have here uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 14, the Lord adds that when he saw the people, he had compassion on them. And there's going to be over 5,000. They've had a a full day. And uh, he realizes they're tired and they're hungry. Um, Verse 15, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already sent. Send the multitudes away, uh, that we may go to the village and, and buy themselves food. But the Lord said to them, um, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, well, we only have five loaves of bread and these two fish. And the Lord said, bring them to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the multitudes. Now remember, in Mark's account, he's actually saying in verse 52, for they did not um, understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Something's going on as the disciples are involved with this task of handing out. Um, Well, I'll go down to verse 21 because Mark doesn't record this. In verse 21, it says, Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men. But then Matthew adds, Now add women and children. This was um, thousands of people. And something happened during this process where evidently they're not getting something. And so the Lord knows they're not getting something. So he is basically going to get their attention in a completely different way. The reason Jesus walked on the water, it says because their hearts were hardened and they missed something with this miracle of pulling bread out of thin air and fish. Feed over five, six, seven thousand, eight thousand people and then having 12 baskets of leftovers. And evidently all the Bible says is their hearts were hardened and they weren't getting something. Maybe the magnitude of who is doing this. We don't know, but my speculation is, let's take it now into verse uh, 22, where immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the, the boat and go before him to the other side. So they're starting on one side of the Sea of Galilee. It's about seven miles across. Probably around the place that I mentioned around um, Magdal. And he, he so we, we're told here they're going to go to the other side and he sent the multitudes away. Well, Mark tells us that their destination is Bethsaida. You would, you would go from um, uh, Magdal, go around the top, then you'd hit Capernaum, then you'd go to where they were headed, which is on the other side, which would have been the city of Bethsaida. It'd be a good little... Um, assignment for you to do to get your Bible maps out sometime and just not now, later. <laughs> and actually look where these cities are. You, you, we know when you put all three Gospels together, we know that the Lord is going to walk on the water because the disciples missed something because their hearts were hardened. We know that they're going across. We know when they're going to be in the middle and before the end of the study they're going to arrive at their destination. So Verse 23, Matthew 14. And when he had sent away the multitudes, he went up on a mountain by himself. I'd like to think it was our bell. 
I can't prove it is, but I'd like to think so. And when evening had come, he was alone there. But now the boat is in the middle of the sea. Well, now we've just learned something. Wherever they're going, they're halfway there. Um, And the sea was tossed by the waves. So I'm sure when they got in this boat, it was calm. But now we're going to read in a little bit later in John's gospel. It tells us the exact location. It's going to say three to four miles. And like I said, it's about seven miles across. Here we're told they're in the middle. And all of a sudden, a storm has just all of a sudden appeared. Now I've been on a boat on the Sea of Galilee when one of these has hit. And I've had the personal experience to see that it's time to get back to shore and get back there in a hurry. This is a mirror. This is a two-minute clip of Amir uh, Safati. He was with us. Um, we Skyped him in from Jerusalem uh, two years ago. And this is him leading a tour as one of these storms is approaching. Now, the tourists don't like it because they're going to get wet. But let's run it because you'll see the, the quickness, how these things can arrive. Um, I've known Amir Actually, since the 80s. In as much as I feel sorry for you having this kind of wind and cold uh, temperatures, I'm glad you get to experience that simply because that's exactly what I believe the disciples had experienced then when, look, we just came from the northern area of the Sea of Galilee. Now you can hardly see it. The clouds are approaching so fast when the wind blows from the west and brings all those clouds. And then, of course, you have the afternoon regular Sharkiyeh, we call it in Arabic. Shark in Arabic is east. Sharkiyeh is the eastern winds that are traditionally in the afternoon. In fact, in the history books, in, even in the Jewish Talmud, it says, if you happen to cross the lake and you've got to be on the other side in the afternoon, don't even think about coming back. Just stay there the night because you're risking your life. The winds are so strong. Can you imagine an afternoon when there is a storm approaching from the west and the regular eastern winds are taking place? The collision in this basin of those two winds alone can create, listen to me, it can create a six to eight foot high wave. Now that's just a tiny lake. You can imagine what these kind of waves uh, look like in the middle of a small lake like a uh, small lake like that. And even the most experienced fishermen, native to the area, will be helpless in a situation like that. If you ever get the chance to look, you see that the entire northern shores of the Sea of Galilee just disappeared yep. because of the clouds that are just coming all over. But it's interesting. And we still have a wonderful um, clear area of this area. You can see how quickly that storm came in. Now, as you go back to um, Matthew chapter 14, verse 24, they started with the calm sea, but the boat was now in the middle, and one of these storms collides. That riff, that our bell, goes all the way to the Mediterranean, and it funnels right down to the very northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And the sea was tossed by the waves, and the wind was contrary. Now in verse 25, Matthew is going to tell us something that Mark doesn't. And that is that this happened in the fourth watch of the night. Jesus went to them walking on the water. What Matthew tells us is actually the time. The Romans divided the night into four three-hour segments. And the Jews had adopted these divisions. The fourth watch was the last part of the night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. This was the last watch, the end of the night. So this would have been in the very middle, early mornings, hours, that the Lord actually came walking to them. Now, I'm going to, remember I told you, flip back and forth, keep your finger here, but flip back now to Mark's account Let me draw your attention to verse 48. And we read here 
as he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. They're in the middle of the storm. That, by the way, is the title of the message this morning, In the Storm. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking by the sea. And notice this. It said, he would have passed on by. And I, I read that, and it stopped me in my tracks. What do you mean he would have passed on by? It made me want to rename the title of the morning's message, Walk On By, by Dion Warwick. <laughs> I told that to Eric, because I didn't know if he was going to be here this morning. And I said, what do you think about Walk On By, by Dion Warwick? And he says, you know, that was written by Burt Bacharach. And he's a walking encyclopedia when it comes to, to music. But I didn't entitle it Walk On By, just let, let, let that sing in. He's doing this, we're going to learn later, because they didn't get something with the feeding of the 5,000. You think walking on water would get your attention? That's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to get their attention to wake up to who he is. So he's just walking on by. Oh, they're yelling at him because they're freaking out because it's a ghost. Only then does he turn and go towards them. And... I want to point this out here. He would have passed them by. This is what Mark tells us. I can't help but think Jesus obviously wants to get their attention. Why? Again, for they did not understand because of the lows, because their hearts were hardened. And they weren't absorbing it. Maybe they were tired and weary from uh, the workouts with passing out the meals. Maybe they had a long day and just didn't want to Uh, Just be done with it. Um, Let's go back to Matthew's account because even though Mark is Peter's gospel written by Mark, Peter doesn't mention that he's the one that gets out of the boat. Matthew's the one that tells us this. Let's pick it up in verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer. It's me. Do not be afraid. Now, more information. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. Are you kidding me? Here... You, gotta, you know, we give Peter often is given, gets himself in trouble with sort of foot and mouth disease. Speaking when he shouldn't be speaking. But you know what? You have to admire him here. He was the only disciple who said, Lord, if that's, if that's you out there, then you tell me to come out and be with you right now. He says, go for it, Peter. Come on out. And Peter gets out of the boat to his credit. Oftentimes, Um, We talk about taking ventures of faith, not knowing what lies ahead. I like to think about it, I think of Peter here, getting out of the boat and not being afraid to take a step of faith. That's what he's doing. Men don't walk on water. But it's important, and we'll um, talk about this a little bit later, I need to qualify this, that he talked to the Lord about doing this first before he got out. He says, Lord, if that's you, then you tell me, you command me to come out there. And to his credit, he gets out of the boat. But, verse 30, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Let's just stop there. Here, he sees the Lord walking on water. His eyes are on the Lord. But all of a sudden, like, Amir said, six to eight foot waves on both sides. He began to go around, he began to doubt. This is crazy, I can't walk on water. He took his eyes off the Lord, put it on the situation, and what happened? He began to go down. He said, Lord, save me, help. And I wish I could have seen this one. I imagine Peter was a big man. I just have that picture of Simon Peter being a strong, big man. The Lord one-armed him. He's standing on water grabs Peter, picks him up, and sets him right back in the boat. I believe it did it all in in one hand. And we're watching this account, and when he saw the wind contrary, 
Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why'd you take your eyes off me, Peter? Why'd you look at the storm? Now, the miracles that are happening here, this is mentioned in Mark. Also, when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Let's count the miracles so far. We have three um, that I'm looking at. One is the Lord walking on the water. Two, Peter walking on the water. Three, verse 32. As soon as this, they get in the boat, it tells us there was a great calm. All of a sudden, the wind stopped blowing. And that is pretty much Matthew's account of this story. Let's look at John. John chapter six. It's the same event, but John makes it a little bit more personal. The feeding of the 5,000, let's begin with that. We read in Mark and Matthew's account, no personal names are used. John, however, on the other hand, says in verse five, when he told them to feed the multitudes, we read in verse five, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, now we have a personal name. We know exactly who he talked to. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that they may eat? But six is important, but this he said, to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. He knew that he was going to put a test before them and that they're not gonna pass the test and thus the reason that the Lord actually comes to them walking on the water. This he said to test them because he knew what was going to lie ahead. And Philip answered and said, well, we have 200 denarii worth of bread, not sufficient for them that every one of them should have a little. And one of his disciples, all right, now we learn that Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, uh, there is a lad. We learn three things from John. He talks to Philip about how much do we have, and then he talks to uh, Andrew. And then number nine, we find out where and who had the five loaves and the two fishes. Read verse nine. Andrew said, well, there's this little kid over here, a lad, and he has five loaves and two fishes, um, but what are they to so many? Uh, I paused during the first service at this point, and I remembered in years past on teaching on this, one of the commentaries I was studying, it was a commentary that doesn't make place or have a place for the supernatural. So if you don't believe that what's happening here was supernatural, then this is the way they would explain it. They would say this, this boy um, had the five loaves, and when the Lord was looking for who's, who could help us out here with food, this boy came with his five loaves and two fishes and said, here it is. And the commentator went on, without using any scriptural support, to say everybody had food right in the same place that this guy did, up their sleeves. But when they saw this boy sharing, then they all felt guilty, and then they all brought out their bread that they had, and that's how the 5,000 were fed. Speculation, speculation, speculation. None of it's biblical. We have five loaves and two fishes from one boy, and from that, the 5,000 plus were fed. And um, let's go back to um, John's account because we find in verse nine, it was just one boy that had the five loaves. Verse 10, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so men sat down in number about 5,000. Now we know there were more. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples came to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so they were all filled. They were stuffed. And he said to his disciples, now I want you to gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves. John tells us 
He's the only kind that tells us what kind of bread it is. It's barley. We're left over that had not been eaten. Now in verses 14 and 15, when it refers to those men, it is not a reference to the disciples. Obviously with a crowd this big, they needed extra help. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they believed. They said, truly, the prophet who has come into the world, or the Messiah, this has got to be him. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, well, now we've found a whole new dimension to the story. Not the disciples. These other men said, we would sure like a king like this. Can you imagine the welfare program he would come up with? Nobody would ever go hungry. We're going to make him king. This is the reason it wasn't the disciples. These were those that wanted to make the Lord king. And the reason that he departs, we read in verse 15, is because they were going to do it by force. He departed again to a mountain by himself alone. And this is where he had sent away his disciples in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. So remember, we know that it's during the fourth watch. But by this time, when they're just getting started, it's only the beginning of evening. And they're headed out on calm seas from Magdal and got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Now, I'm very familiar with this because we've, every time we go to Israel, we get on uh, a tourist boat and we go from either Naf Genazar and we'll go, actually go to Capernaum. We'll get off there and we have our Bible study there in Capernaum in that synagogue that um, we showed you on, on Wednesday night. So picture this in your mind's eye. They leave, calm seas. They get halfway there and a storm arises. That much we know. And now they're going towards Capernaum on their way to Bethsaida. So in my mind's eye, I can see the boat halfway there. But they're quite a ways from Capernaum to see. Capernaum's just off the shore. And they're on their way to Bethsaida in the middle, halfway there when this storm hits. Verse 17, it was now dark and Jesus had, had not come to them. Verse 18, Uh, The sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. Well, that's why I played that little video clip, just how quickly that storm can hit. So when they rode about three or four miles, well, seven miles across the Sea of Galilee. So they are in the middle. Remember that because it's important to what's going to happen with the next miracle. And they saw Jesus walking on the water, Mark tells us he would have walked down by, not here, and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. And he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Could I read that again so you don't miss it? This is a fourth miracle. Jesus walks on the water, Peter walks on the water, They get in the boat and the wind stops. But now John tells us that as soon as he got in the boat, remember where they are again. They're halfway out in the middle. But now it tells us the boat is immediately at Bethsaida because Mark tells us that's where they were going to. We have a supernatural event taking place. It's like Elijah getting taken up into heaven by the chariot. It's like Enoch walking with God and he was not for God took him. The Bible says in a rapture, Mary alluded to it during her update about the blessed hope. I hope you have hope. What is the blessed hope? Eh, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This is not home. Good place for an amen. This is not home. And as we end this here, we, we have sort of a mini rapture. You know this happened to Philip? Remember when he went down to the Gaza Strip and he baptized the Ethiopian? He witnessed to him and baptized him and as soon as he baptized him, he said, Philip disappeared. 
found himself at Ozatus. That's 20 miles north (laughs) by Capernaum. What happens here? This is supernatural. And why is the Lord doing it? He's trying to get their attention, trying to blow their mind because somehow, some way, with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, they were hard-hearted. They wouldn't let it sink in. Guys, you don't pull fish out of thin air and feed 5,000 people. But evidently, that was sort of just blasé to them or whatever. But clearly, the Lord says their hearts were hard and they didn't understand. What didn't they understand? I think who it was that was really there. The people that were helping, they had an alternative motive. These same group of people would follow Jesus all the way around. We're going to read a little bit later. And they said, hi, Lord, where you been? And the Lord calls them out on it. And he says, the reason you guys followed me all the way around is not because of me. It's because you ate of the bread the day before, and you're looking for another free meal today. Ooh, tart to the heart. Wrong motive. But he calls them out on it. So if the disciples aren't getting a message, what does the Lord do? Well, what what can I do to these guys are hard? How can I get their attention? Well, maybe I'll just walk on water. Maybe that will get their attention. Oh, that got their attention all right. Did it get their attention that much more when the wind stopped immediately? Did it get their attention that much more when they're immediately at Bethsaida, when they're still three and a half miles away? Oh, yeah. And so we see the, the supernatural and the Lord working as he's working with his disciples, getting them to a place where they're going to um, believe on him. And um, this is a, a remarkable account of, um, of this ship starting probably at, at uh, Megdell and then the Lord having this meeting in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and then ending when they arrive at Bethsaida. And three and a half of those miles were instantaneous. Turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. I'm actually gonna make a couple illustrations that we don't wanna miss here this morning. I've called this in the storm. And in Matthew seven, the Lord tells the parable of the two builders in Matthew seven verses 24 to 27. And let me start by saying that as believers, we are not exempt from storms in life. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? I had a brother pull me aside after the first service. He could barely talk to me. He said, Dwight, you hit me between the eyes and I needed to hear this Bible study more than you can know. I'm in the storm of my life. I was hacked. All my money's gone. And I don't know if I'm going to get any of it back. And I asked the Lord what he should do. And he said, make sure you go to church this morning. That was after the first service this morning. He's in the middle of a storm. You may be in a hard spot right now. You may be sitting alone in a corner of darkness. You may be facing temptations and problems that are too great to bear. You may find yourself out on a stormy sea. And he's... You feel as if your little boat is simply going down. Well, the word here has some good news for you. He saw them toiling in their rowing. He sees you. He knows your problems. You don't have to send up the flare to let him know. He's already aware exactly what you're going through. And he's not just going to walk on by. But it's when they called out to him that he turned. And he came to them. If you're in Matthew 7, it's a parable of people who listen to God's word and apply it. And then there's people who hear the same word but don't apply it. So let's look at verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Notice the storms of life. The rains descended. The floods came. The winds blew. Beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. The greatest hurricane to hit the U.S. since 1851, Hurricane Michael, 
did unbelievable damage. Sustained a Category 1 hurricane all the way into South Carolina. Never happened before. And as I'm watching the interviews of people in their storm, some of them losing everything, and the different interviews, I could tell who the believers were, and I could tell who the non-believers were. The unbelievers went something like this. We've lost everything. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what we're going to go. We're in devastation. We're in woe. No hope at all. Then on the other hand, I'd hear interviews that went something like this. You know what? We lost everything. But you know, it's just material stuff. And uh, we can rebuild this thing again. Our family is still intact. And uh, we have hope. And every once in a while, you would hear that, you know, it's our faith through this where we really believe that God will work things to the good. My friends, those are two very different perspectives. This parable is addressed to two different groups of people. Wise men. Well, who's a wise man? A wise man is the one who will hear God's word. And when you go through your storms in life, and you will, because we are not exempt. And there's some here this morning or watching live stream. You're in the middle of one right now. And what God's word says, that he's very aware of your storms. As a matter of fact, he might just allow that storm to come in the same way that he allowed it to come into Job's life. Nothing good about reading the book of Job. Yeah, there is. If you've lost family, if your house has been taken out, you lost your possessions, how many millions of people have been comforted by reading the book of, of Job? Certainly didn't get any comfort from his best friends. <laughs> the rest of the book of Job is them saying, obviously you did something wrong, Job. If you just confess your sin, you know, everything's going to go well. Great comforters they are. Go comfort somebody else. <laughs> Verse 26. Now everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The same storms of life came. Rains descended, floods came, the winds blew, and beat on its house and fell, and great was its fall. One was built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the solid rock, who changes not. Romans 8, 28, still in the Bible. He works all things together for good to those who love him. Yeah, but it doesn't seem that way because I'm in the middle of a storm right now. Maybe you have a lesson to learn like the disciples. Maybe you're being tested. Does God test people? Turn to 1 Peter, the guy who walked on water. 1 Peter chapter 1. Talking about the glorious hope. 1 Peter chapter 1. Talks about, verse four, we have this inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. It's not gonna fade away, it's reserved for you in heaven. That's where we need to keep our eyes focused. In heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, that's what the Lord said to Peter, where's your faith, Peter? Why'd you look, why'd you doubt? For salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, Oh, praise the Lord, I'm going to get raptured someday. Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Oh, you mean as a Christian I'm going to have storms, and a storm is really a test to see how I'm going to handle the situation? Exactly. It is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can't help but think of Abraham. Abraham, take now your son, your only son whom you love, and take him to the mountains of Moriah that I will show you. And there I want you to offer him as a sacrifice unto me. And when you read that in Genesis, is that the word and is immediate. And Abraham did this, he packed up his donkey, and he got the wood, he got his son, and they were gone. And there was no hesitation. You see, God had made Abraham a promise. See your son Isaac? 
All your descendants are gonna come from him. And he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So God's got a problem. If he's asking me to offer him as a sacrifice and give him up, then he's gonna have to do something about raising my son from the dead because God promised. So you know the story. They, they get to the place that he's about to be offered. And the Lord answers from heaven and says, stop, <laughs> go no farther. Because it was a test. He says, now I know, Abraham, that you will not withhold anything from me. I wonder if the Lord knows that about you. Is there anything that you're holding back? Oh, maybe he'll test you to see just how important that is to you. Are you willing to lay it all, all on the line? Is he really your first love? Well, let's find out. How do you find out? Do you think he doesn't already know? Of course he knows. But question is, do you know? Did he know that the disciples would have hard hearts about the feeding of the 5,000? Of course he did. But as we read in the gospel, he knew what they were going to do, so he thought, well, maybe walking on water will probably get their attention even a little bit more. And they were being tested. So let's close up this morning by looking at uh, John chapter 6. As you're turning, in the middle of trials sometimes we want to run and hide in a storm. But again, i got to go back to Peter. And I, I guess I'd just say don't be afraid to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm. Don't be afraid to go for it. I just don't feel like being a witness today. Well, in the middle of the storm, Peter got out of the boat. But can I qualify that? And uh, don't be presumptuous and make sure that you say, Lord, should I do this or should I not do this? And if it's really you, then you tell me to come. Sometimes people in their zeal will take off, just like some of the men from Jericho went to Ai. Just a little town. We should be able to handle those people. And they kicked the snot out of the Israelites and they sent them with their tails running back to Jericho. And then there's this one little phrase. It says, for they did not acknowledge the Lord first. They just thought, I can handle this. This is just a little town. We'll take those guys right out. And they got kicked back because they didn't talk to the Lord first about it. What's your point, Dwight? Acknowledge the Lord in some of your ways. You better call me out quick, I can't hear you. (laughs) Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways, including flying insects that want to disrupt my Bible study. (laughs) Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. Do you really do that? Pray about all things? Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and then he'll direct your path. Lord, should I get out of the boat? No, not a good idea right now. Peter, can I get it about, Lord? Yeah, I want the guys to see an example here. Don't be afraid to get out of the boat, but make sure you pray about it first. Good place for an amen. Even in the middle of a storm, even in the middle of a storm, still go on to be witnessing. Personal thing, I hope you don't get in trouble with Mary. Being in ministry, there's more pressures and things that come on people. And whether we're having a conference or a um, Mary's doing an update, I can guarantee you that she will have a week where spiritual warfare will be off the charts. And that just comes with ministry. Peter, to, to his, but that wasn't going to stop her from giving the update that she gave this morning. Aren't you glad for the update? Sort of puts things in where we are, present tense in the world in which we live. We're living in the time where technology is, is, is being fulfilled, right in, right in front of our eyes. If you're in John, uh, chapter six, our last verse, verse 21, we read, then they willingly received him. You know, there's people that watch us live stream, even come to church here at Calvary on Sunday morning, and they never really have accepted Jesus yet as their Lord and Savior. Oh, they're close. Some find it interesting. Oh, I didn't know that before. And it's more of a head information knowledge thing. Rather than come to get fed by the word of God and to worship from your heart to say thank you during the worship part of the service. 
I hope during the worship part of the service, you're actually worshiping the Lord and thanking him for what he's done in your life. And the other part is this, this, they received him willingly into the boat. Willingly invite the Lord into your life. Boat, if you will, in this case. And he will say, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, but you don't understand. I'm going through this storm right now. Well, when he comes into your life, all of a sudden, he calms the storm. That's what happens without exception. Jesus comes into the middle of a crisis and there's this peace that passes understanding that you can't explain. You know, people are watching you in your storms of life. Whether or not you're freaking out or whether or not you go, I have no idea what's going on, but the Lord is the Lord of my life and he promised to work it to good. End of discussion. I'm not standing on my feelings because my feelings change like the weather. And good place for an amen, right? (laughs) My feelings change like the weather. But this book is, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He changes not. And if you allow him into your life, he he is the prince of peace. And he will give you that peace in the middle of your storm. And not only that, but when you allow him to be Lord of your life, he's going to get you to where he wants you to go. Where did he want his disciples to go? To Bethsaida. Where does he want us to go? He said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. I want to take you home. I want to take you out of here. But then he says, in the meantime, you're going to be tested. You're going to find out just how strong your faith is so that you will know because he already does know. Good place for an amen? Good place to end the Bible study. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning as we continue our way um, through the gospel of Mark. Um, We just are grateful, Lord, for the wonder of your word. We're understanding why there has to be four gospels to give us a complete picture of um, the disciples attesting. Lord, we know that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We stand in awe. And we don't want to miss the forest for the trees like the disciples. Help us learn our lessons the first time through so they don't have to be repeated. And um, we just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.